0: Crossroads? Bola. Bola, welcome. Yeah. Uh, well, if you've been travelling with us in Malachi for the last kind of three weeks, you would have experienced a group of people having a bit of a hard time with life, really. So three things we've looked at was uh, Isaac and, and Nathan. So first of all, they're just having a hard time with, you know, does God love us? You know, not feeling it, Really? Uh, what's the great phrase from the first part of the chapter, how have you loved us? I kind of grew up on the old King James, uh, fa- fabulous phrase, wherein hast thou loved us, they ask. So in other words, we're not feeling your love God. So they're kind of having a bit of a hard time with that. Uh, second thing they're having a hard time was they kind of falling off their worship. You know, they were just kind of moseying on up, whatever, um, grabbing whatever flocks available, just to get the, the scungy one, bringing it to God. Um, and God says to them, you say, oh, serving God and worshipping is a, a burden. That's what what they said. And then, like, he's a bit sarky at times, right? So he he sort of says through the prophet, you know, why don't you go offer that to your governor or your or your boss or your manager? See how they like the offerings you're bringing to me. So having a bit of a hard time with with their worship. And then having some difficulties in the marriage, you know, uh, choosing the wrong woman, uh, then bit of adultery and unfaithfulness and and a high rate of divorce. What is it God says to them, you know, uh, to divorce your wife is to overwhelm her with cruelty. So it's a, a group of people having a hard time. And we said when we started this series out of the back end of our focus on the Word of God, that even a book like Malachi, you know, squeezed away right at the end of the Old Testament, hardly ever go in there. Just so relevant, right? I mean, all of us have struggled at sometimes saying, I don't really feel God's love in my life at the moment. You know, uh, I have to admit to you, I don't always come to worship on a Sunday or in a southern environment going, I'm at my 100% best. I've prepared for this. I'm, co- I'm bringing myself to God. I'm going to worship with all my heart, all my life. Sometimes I'm rocking up, having just argued with Penny for a whole hour because we have to come from Waikanae. So much worse than five minutes from church away. If you know, so, we, you know, I mean... I don't always rock up with my best for God and worship. And relationships, well, you know, the hard work, right? they ebb and flow, they're up and down. So this is just a really relevant book. And like I said, God's a bit sarcastic. I mean, think last time he was talking about rubbing feces in people's faces and things, you think, blimey heck. And I thought, well, if... I was talking to a group of people having a hard time, like this group of people are having a hard time, would that be my approach? And then I kind of thought, well, wait a minute, who am I to tell God how to talk to a group of people that are having a hard time? So you'll see as we go through that sarcasm is still a little bit there, that, that approach, but God knows what's best for his people, so we're trusting him with the message. So the struggles continue this morning. So how have you loved us, Uh, worship, uh, relationships, now we're going to talk about injustice this morning. So they're also having a hard time, this group of people that are in Malachi, with things being unjust and God not intervening in that injustice. So uh, Greg's going to bring us up Uh, our kind of starting passage this morning in the back end of Malachi chapter number two. If you've got a Bible or device, come with me to 2, 3. You can turn there at your leisure. Let me read it to you. It says, You have wearied the Lord with your words. How have we wearied Him? Or in the old King James, wherein have we wearied Him, Uh, you ask? You have wearied Him by saying that all who do evil are good in the Lord's sight, and He is pleased with them. You have wearied Him by asking where? is the God of justice. About this time last year, Penny and I uh, were on Netflix and we watched a movie called Just Cause. It was about this uh, Harvard graduate, young black man uh, uh, from, had graduated from Harvard and went back to the South to practice law and he kind of, just as he was getting into practicing law, Brian Stevenson was his name, he, he, came, he went to visit someone in prison, and he, he came across this guy called Johnny D. So uh, his last name is McMillan, can't remember his first. Johnny D. So Johnny D. had been in prison like 35 years for a crime he, uh, he was adamant he didn't commit. And so Brian, in, in this true story, and basically the movie was based off his book, Began to work on Johnny D's case, and what he realised when he did a bit of digging was that uh, almost the sole testimony against or the sole witness against Johnny uh, D was a cellmate who actually did a deal with a prosecution to get a shorter sentence on charges. He was up and as a, res- as a result of that, testified against Johnny D, and that was about the sole evidence for Johnny B D being in- indicted and arrested and imprisoned on this crime, like 35 years. And so the movie goes through the process and the agony of trying to get Johnny D like. Uh, out of prison, and, and actually was on death row, so off death row, and get his case retried. Uh, so an agonising watch, but a, but a good watch. Uh, the um, Innocence Project, which is a group in the US that uh, work on freeing people who have been wrongly imprisoned, based on some of the work they're doing on DNA evidence at the moment, think that it's about 20,000 people wrongly in prison in the US at the moment wrongly been imprisoned. In fact, just this month, there was someone who had been freed uh, from prison having been in there for 38 years. 38 years when DNA evidence they just picked up that had been untested revealed that the crime was committed by another person. And uh, the U.S. Justice of, Department of Justice said this is a mass injustice. Uh, the gentleman was really, really gracious. He said, man, I prayed for this day for such a long time. I'm just going to enjoy the rest of my life. He's 69. 69. I just, I don't know, I don't know how I'd feel about having my life stolen from me unjustly, wrongly, for something I didn't do. I don't know what that would feel like. Happens all around the world. A couple of months ago, our own Supreme Court uh, released someone who had been In prison for over two decades back in the 80s for a crime he didn't commit. Evidence had been hidden from the jury that would have meant he was set free and not imprisoned. Two decades in our own country. 35 years he'd been fighting for justice. Man, there's just something about injustice. That rips at our souls, eh? Rips at our hearts. So, I don't have a problem with the people in Malachi, Israel, saying life is unfair. That's patently true. In our time frame, in our perspective, life is unfair. Unjust, inequitable, unfair things happen, and they aren't put right. I don't have a problem with that. The problem is that they're saying that life's unfair and God doesn't care. Life's unfair, and God doesn't care. That's where the problems begin. Not only that, they're, saying they're going beyond that, they're saying that not only does God not care, but actually he's kind of pleased about it, he delights in injustice. That's where the problem lies in this statement, that God doesn't care, and he actually delights in injustice. Why are they saying this? Well, if you've been following along with us, they're back in, this group of people were in captivity, they've, they've come out of captivity, they're back in their homeland, they've been there about 100 years. And all the prophets that wrapped around them when they were released from captivity and came back into the homeland said, it's going to be great. Right, You're going to return to Israel, and Israel will be the, the kind of center of the earth, and people will come for all around to bring their wealth, and uh, you know the, the temple will be glorious, and the streets will be filled with children, and the old people will sit in the streets and delight, and all that kind of stuff. But that just wasn't happening. Worse than that, they were under the domination of a foreign nation, the Medo-Persians, who were kind of uh, unjust and cruel and wicked, and it just seemed like... God wasn't intervening in all of that. And that's where their problem was. That's what they were so upset about. So they make this accusation against God. You don't care that it's unfair. Where is this God of justice? Worse than that, not only did you not care, you, you, you actually are quite pleased with people that act unjustly. Two accusations Right against the Lord. Now we all kind of struggle with injustice. We all struggle when things aren't fair, when life doesn't go well, and you know, we all wonder what is happening and where is God and all of that. You would be thinking, perhaps in your own life, when something's been unjust, or you know people where something's happening, and you think, you know, why is that happening? how's that fair, how's that just, how's that right? And, you know, we do ask the question in those moments, don't we? Where is God? Where is God in all of this? It's a common question. But what we do know, what we do know, and the Bible declares it to us, that God is just. God is fair. God is equitable. And there's this classic statement in Deuteronomy, and I'm just going to read it to you. It's going to come up on the screen there. Uh, How glorious is our God. He is the rock. His deeds are perfect. Everything he does is just and fair. He is a faithful God who does no wrong. How just and upright is he. We see that a number of times. This is a really classic verse. So God, by his very nature, by his very character, is just, and yet sometimes things happen. You think, where is this God who's meant to be just? Why is he not righting this wrong? Why is he not making this right? Why is he not bringing fairness and equity and justice into this thing? We all struggle with that. So how do we make sense of the statement in Malachi from the people, from life in general? How do we make sense of injustice when we know we've got a just God and all of that? One of the things that we'll see as we kind of move our way into chapter number three of Malachi is that part of the answer is that our perspective and our timelines like this, and God's perspective and his timelines like that. So sometimes in our very narrow world, our very narrow timeline, things seem unjust. But in God's world, in God's timeline, in God's perspective, it's all going to get sorted out. So as we move into chapter number three, Malachi kind of points out how it's going to get sorted out. And it's a tricky five verses. I wish it was straightforward. It's not that straightforward. So I'm going to do my best to make it as simple as I can as we kind of move our way through the first three verse, first five verses of chapter number three. So God has a plan for injustice. He has a plan to make everything right, everything fair, everything just. And his plan involves three things, three things. First of all, Jesus has to come for the first time. And you'll say, but he has come. I say, yeah, but Malachi's looking forward. It's an Old Testament book. We're looking back. So Jesus has to come for the first time. That's the first thing. Then Jesus has to come for the second time. And in the meantime, God is calling us, asking us, imploring us, encouraging us, to be his just ones on the earth until Jesus comes. That's the plan. So let me take you through the plan in the first part of chapter number three of Malachi. So first of all, Jesus had to come for the first time, Malachi 3.1. It says, "'I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. "'Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking "'will come into his temple.'" They're looking for the God of justice. Well, uh, Malachi says he's coming. And uh, we know this is referring to Jesus' first coming because Jesus actually used this verse from Malachi, uh, this prophecy, when he's referring to John the Baptist in Matthew 10. 10 verses 10 to 11, it says, John is the man to whom the scriptures refer when they say, look, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare the way before you. Basically a direct quote out of Malachi. I tell you the truth, uh, of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist. If you know the Gospels, John came before Jesus and the Gospels describe him as preparing the way of the Lord. He was born before Jesus was and kind of prepared the way for Jesus to come into this world. In addition to that, Jesus appeared in the temple eight days after his birth, and his birth occurred like 400 years after Malachi. So it took a long time for Jesus to suddenly appear. We're about to celebrate his birth in the next month or so, aren't we? Man, I'm looking forward to that. Haven't got the Christmas tree up, but I'm looking forward to the celebration of his birth. Uh, So... He came into the temple eight days after his birth, and then he was in the temple again when he was 12 years old because his parents couldn't find him. He was in the temple arguing with the theologians and the scholars in the temple. So he did appear suddenly, in a sense, in the temple. And Jesus' coming was the first part of God's plan to ultimately deal with injustice. And there were three kind of important things about Jesus' coming. First of all, uh, if Jesus didn't come for the first time He wouldn't earn the right to come for a second time. He had to come the first time to earn the right to come the second time. You say, well, how does that work? I'll tell you a little bit later. But he had to come for the first time to earn the right to come for the second time because he had to kind of kick off the second time. Uh, Secondly, when Jesus came the first time, he delivered his gospel message to the Jews and the Gentiles to the whole world. When he did that, he opened up the opportunity for God's Holy Spirit to come into people's hearts and for the character of justice and fairness and equity to be stamped on the hearts of people who would represent God down through the ages and reflect his justice, his fairness, and his equity. So if you have opened up your heart to Jesus Christ, accepted him into your life, and if you've done that, he has planted his Holy Spirit in your heart, And you now are part of God's plan for justice. And Christ's coming opened up that potential and that possibility. So that's the second reason why his first coming was so important. Listen to John the Baptist's words to the crowd as he kind of prepared the way of Jesus in Luke 3. The crowds asked, what should we do? John replied, if you have two shirts, give one to the poor. If you have food, share it with those who are hungry. Even corrupt tax collectors came to be baptised and asked, Teacher, what should we do? He replied, collect no more taxes than the government requires. What, What should we do? Asked some soldiers. John replied, don't extort money or make false accusations and be content with your pay. So you can see that theme of justice and fairness and equity kind of rolling through John's words, preparing the way for Jesus Christ. So, uh to get the Holy Spirit into our hearts and for us to be the stamp of God's justice down through time. The third uh, reason Jesus' first coming was so important is that Jesus suffered what has been described as one of the most unfair trials in human history. Jesus underwent seven trials uh, between the time of midnight and just after dawn. Seven trials. Imagine that. Uh In his trials, the judges were biased. The judges didn't have a quorum. There was no formal charge. The trial was carried out illegally at night. It started without any witnesses. Later witnesses who turned up were bribed. The witness testimony was conflicted. There was only one witness for the charges, whereas the law required two or three. Jesus was not allowed a defense. He was convicted on his own evidence, which was illegal. He was struck during the trial, which was illegal. He was acquitted by Pilate, and that was reversed. This is all happening in one night. (laughs) Uh, The charge was changed during the trial, and the verdict was declared a day too soon. It's been described as one of the most unfair trials in human history. Why is that important? Because Jesus Christ, the man, understands what it is To suffer injustice, to be treated unfairly, to be treated inequitably. So when we come to him with our sense of injustice that it's not fair, he intimately understands what that's like. So, part of God's plan, Jesus had to come for the first time on this earth. And then Next this morning, in terms of God's plan for justice or for dealing with injustice, Jesus has to come for a second time. Verses one through four. Then the Lord you are seeking will suddenly come into his temple. The messenger of the covenant covenant who you look for so eagerly is surely coming, says the Lord of heaven's armies. But who will be able to endure it when he comes? Who will be able to stand and face him when he appears? For he will be like like a blazing fire that refines metal, or like a strong soap that bleaches clothes. He will sit like a refiner of silver, burning away the dross. He will purify the Levites, refining them like gold and silver, so that they may once again offer acceptable sacrifices to the Lord. Then once more the Lord will accept their offerings brought to him by the people of Judah and Jerusalem, as he did in the past." For God to bring his plan of justice into place, Jesus has to come a second time. Now I appreciate this is really confusing because verse 1 sort of puts the first and second coming of Jesus almost in the same breath and kind of melds them together and you think, hang a minute, hang on a minute, what's happening here? And you, we know that at least the first and second coming of Jesus Christ is separated by 2,000 years and a minimum. It still hasn't happened yet in terms of the second coming. And one of the tricky things about prophecy, which is what Malachi is, is that you have often have these short term, medium term, and long term fulfillments. That's how they talk about it. Short term in the prophet's day, medium term Jesus' first coming, uh, long term Jesus' second coming. So that's what's kind of happening here. Then the Lord you are seeking will suddenly come into his temple. Revelation 19 and Zechariah chapter 12 to 14 say that Jesus will come suddenly. And he'll fight the armies of the Antichrist and the armies of the world in and around Jerusalem where the temple is. Uh, Revelation 19 says this, "I (laughs) I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse, whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. Then verse number 14, The armies of heaven, dressed in the finest of pure white linen, follow him on white horses, and that's us. Jesus' second coming is really part of God's plan to deal with injustice, and and it's part of God's plan in two ways. First of all, Jesus addresses all the evil, all the injustice, all the unfairness that has ever occurred on the earth down through the ages, and I have to tell you, it's not pretty. I know that we are really looking forward to the return of Christ in chapter number 19, the millennial kingdom, chapter number 20, and then the the final eternal state, chapters 21 and 22, glorious chapters about our future. And it's really right to be looking forward to that. That will be a marvelous time. But before we get to chapters 19 to 22, we kind of have to deal with chapters 6 to 19 or the first part of 19 in the Revelation. And that's hard going. Because Jesus puts all the wrongdoing right, and as he does that, there's carnage on the earth. Carnage on the earth. That's why Malachi kind of says in verse number two, but look, who will be able to endure it when he comes? Who will be able to stand and face him when he appears? Not only when he appears, but just before he appears. The Revelation tells us he breaks the seven seals on the scroll, The seven trumpets sound. The seven bowls are poured out on the earth. The earth is ravaged by judgments. There's torments. There's disasters. There's natural disasters, supernatural disasters. Um, Millions of Christians are martyred under the um, tyranny of the Antichrist. Look, it's not pretty. It's not pretty. In fact, you get to the end of chapter number 18, the first part of chapter number 19, and you think to yourself, how is there any earth left and how is there any people left? Malachi says, careful what you ask for, because the justice of God is pretty strong. It's fair, but it's pretty, uh, it's pretty um, severe. Jesus says, pray you're not pregnant or nursing a child during this time, because it's not great. So, his second coming is all about putting things right, and he does that on the earth. And then the second part of that is that he will purify his people. Again, verse 2. For he will be like a blazing fire that refines metal or like a strong soap that bleaches clothes. When Jesus appears to do justice, no one escapes his gaze nor his cleansing process. And Zechariah 13 tells us what that's like. He purifies his people so that the earth can be just and fair. And Isaiah tells us again and again that when Jesus returns, the earth for the first time will be a fair, just, and equitable place. And that fairness, that justice, that equity will continue on through eternity. But for that to occur, Christ needs to cleanse his people. And that's why his second coming is so important. When you're being refined by God, when you're being refined like metal, or you're being washed like clothes, or you're being bleached like white garments, You come out looking good, but the process can be a bit painful. And that's why Malachi is saying, "Mm, (laughs) be careful what you ask for. So, to bring in God's plan of justice, Jesus has to come for the first time. He has to come for the second time. And then in the meantime, what God is asking us, calling us to do, is to be his just ones on the earth. To be his just ones on the earth. Verse number 5. Says, at that time I will put you on trial. I am eager to witness against all sorcerers and adulterers and liars. I will speak against those who cheat employees of their wages, who oppress widows and orphans, or who deprive the foreigners living among you of justice. For these people do not fear me, says the Lord of the heavens' armies. The third part of God's plan to bring justice into this world is for his people to be just, fair, equitable on the earth until Jesus comes. Now, I appreciate this verse is kind of like the converse of that because God appears to be saying to them, um, be careful what you wish for. You are after the God of justice. Well, the God of justice will put you on trial and, and see just how just you've been in your life. But if you kind of turn it around, It's a plea from God for God's people to act with justness and and fairness. The warning being that God's going to ask them to give an account at the end of time and to examine their lives to see how just they've been. Malachi's encouragement to the people is in the area of justice is sixfold. There's six things he says he wants them to be really careful about. First of all, he says, be careful about sorcery or manipulation. I know when we say that word, sorcery, we probably jump into crystal balls and black magic and witchcraft, but this is all about a manipulation, trying to manipulate the spirit world to get what I want. By extension, manipulating others by influencing control to get what I want. That almost always results in injustice and unfairness. So Malachi God is saying, Be careful about being manipulative. Secondly, understanding the impact of adultery on the vulnerable, particularly spouses and children. Being unfaithful is so unfair to those who have to bear the consequences of unfaithfulness. Thirdly, he says watch out for lying. Lying to avoid an unpleasant outcome or gain an unfair advantage. Lies almost always result in injustice. God calls us to be honest. Speak with truth. Uh, to own up to stuff, to not avoid stuff, and have the hurt fall on others. Fourthly, to be a fair employer, to, to employer to pay people what they're worth, to be careful not to exploit the power imbalance that comes with an employer-employee relationship. He's saying, be careful about that. More broadly, pay a fair price. Be thoughtful about it. Fifthly, he says, be careful not to take advantage of those who are vulnerable or at a disadvantage because of their economic, social, health, or employment situation. Be careful. And then sixthly, he says, don't treat someone differently because they're different, whether it's due to their ethnicity, their gender, or their ability. Stick up for them, speak up for them, help them get a fair treatment. If you turn it around, it's God's calling our lives to be open To be faithful, to be truthful, to be fair, to be empathetic, and to be impartial. Jesus has come for the first time. He's coming for a second time. When he comes for a second time, he's going to make it all right. He's going to put it all right. It's a bit rough to begin with, but it turns out okay in the end. In the meantime, he's calling you and I to be the source, the power, the origin of justice in this world. If you know Christ, he's placed his Holy Spirit in your heart. He stamped his character of justice in your life. And as all of us go about our daily lives being open and fair and honest and empathetic and impartial, all of those things, then God's character of justice fills this world. That's his high calling on our lives. And that's the invitation from Malachi. Yes, be worried about injustice. Yes, be mindful of it. But be justice in this life. And in that way, God will have the influence he wants to have until Jesus comes again. This life isn't fair. Unjust, unjust things happen in our time frame in our perspective it doesn't mean that God doesn't care it doesn't mean that he's pleased with that He's not it's just that his time frames his perspectives are so much bigger than ours but this morning what you hear is call in your life to be his just one on the earth as you go about your daily life I'm a child of God Redeemed by Christ, filled with his spirit. And God is asking me to be his source of fairness, equity, and justice on this earth. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this passage in Malachi. It's tough reading. We recognize as we look around us, as we see the things that happen, that life is just not fair. We acknowledge that. But help us not to move to that next layer or next level where we say, actually, God doesn't care that it's unjust because we know you do care. Help us to be careful about that thought that, you know, where is God in all of this injustice? Because we know that you are a just God, a fair God, a deeply righteous God. You have a plan to bring justice into this world but it's a long plan, a broad plan, a plan on a timeline that we can hardly fathom. Help us trust in that plan. Think of that plan centers around Jesus Christ, his first coming, which we're about to celebrate, his second coming, which we're looking forward to. And Lord, in our own lives, as we go about our engagements, as we go about our relationships, as we go about our work, as we go about living with our families, Help us to be open to the, to the voice of your spirit, tugging at our hearts, encouraging us. Man, be, be, be fair, be open, be honest. Act with empathy, and sensitivity. Consider the other person's position before we talk about ours. Be just, be fair, be equitable. So you're calling on us, and as we all do that together, this world will be a place of a little bit of justice until Jesus comes. And man, we so look forward to his coming, to seeing him in the sky riding that white horse, justice and righteousness written on his thigh. Man, that will be a great day. Until that day, help us to walk with you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.